Hey everyone, my name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 40 of the show where we are continuing our journey through the early days of Marvel Comics history, which is what we do on this show, like every episode. You should know this by now. So far, that's what we've done, yeah. So this episode, we are picking up with November 1963, a month we began last episode, and which is going to take us until next episode to get through, because there are a lot of comics now, Mike. I know, but they are also getting cooler, so it's been kind of fun. They are also getting cooler. Um, can you hear that? I can. What the heck? Are you being attacked My by... upstairs neighbor... Yeah, I don't know. It's the blob. <laughs> My upstairs neighbor is stomping around. But that's how podcasts work, kids. All right. Uh, also, occasionally podcasts have audio glitches, and I don't realize when I'm talking over somebody, but that's okay, too. Um, so, episode 40. Yeah. This is like a lot of episodes. I think this podcast is officially older than I am now. Well, sadly, not older than me, but it's older than any podcast I've ever done before. So, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. How yeah. long did uh, Legends of the Batman go? 28 issues and then the other endeavors i've done lasted like did i say issues episodes and then like the other ones i've done maybe i got in two or three <laughs> so <laughs> wasn't a high bar i guess but yeah 40 seems like a lot yeah i know that amazing spider-man classics made it to the 30s um and i i know i went at least 52 with new adventure new adventures of superman because it's 52 on 52 and i made a, a special uh panel discussion episode um but i don't know what my count was on that before i closed off so um, wow we'll just we'll just keep on going until we hit the highest number anyone's ever hit what oh. is the highest number anybody's ever hit okay crap earth 2 you know earth 2.net uh-huh earth 2.net the show recently had their 1000th episode well we're a little off from that okay we got a ways yeah, we also have to get them to stop. Yeah, um, I've I've tried hiring hitmen, but that that Michael David Sims, he's a he's a wily wily individual. Or start releasing one episode a day. <laughs> Let's just take this recording and chop it up into five minute segments. Hey, that's <laughs> so a great we'll see, idea. We'll see you next time on episode forty one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall uh, we get into our comics? Let's do it. The X-Men number three is Yay. up on the docket tonight. And this is mine, right? It is yours. I asked beforehand. I never asked beforehand. They usually surprise me and I asked beforehand. So I ruined the surprise. But um, I think I got the Vanisher. So lucky me, you get the blob. <laughs> the blob. Um, okay. We've got actually a pretty great X-Men cover with all the X-Men attacking the blob. And uh, Marvel Girls let her hair down now. So that's... Pretty great, but the beast's furry legs are up there. I don't know. It's a good cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And what is going to happen today? Well, we start off with the usual training shenanigans, and um, then Professor Xavier is like, whoa, 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 stop the shenanigans. I think I smell a mutant. <laughs> and um, everyone's like, what? He's like, yeah, using my mental powers, I didn't just check Cerebro ahead of time. Um, using my mental powers, I think I know there's a mutant waking up somewhere in the world today. And they're like, all oh, right, let's go get a mutant. And um, Bobby's excited. And I, I don't know exactly there. Oh, oh, I know what it is. Whoever gets ready the fastest gets to escort Jean. Mm -hmm. And Jean Grey, you know, being the woman on the team is, of course, you know, everyone's interest. And Warren Worthington, the third, 
is the one who wins the race and takes her off in his hot rod. And everyone's all sad, especially Scott, whose cursed, cursed eyes prevent him from ever being a suitable lover for the beautiful Jean Grey. <laughs> yeah. So um, they they go out looking for, for mutants, and um, eventually Scott finds the blob in a circus. He uh, doesn't realize he's looking at a mutant until the blob... Uh, let's see. Everyone piles on him and tries to move him. He can't be moved. And then they even like fire several rifle bullets into his hide. And those just cushion into his belly and bounce right back out again. That's when like Scott's, oh yeah, this dude, this, this guy's pretty unusual, huh? So you, so you you know that John and I don't know anything about guns when he says he fires rifle bullets into him. Because I don't even know if that's right or wrong, but it just sounds weird. Right? Yeah. Rifle bullets being Some rifle shot from, bullets. A, from, a, from a pistol. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sure. Submachine gun. <laughs> yeah, submachine gun. Rifle bullets. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll make sound effects. They'll sound better. Pow, 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 pow. There, there. That's, 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 that's what guns sound like. They actually did make that sound effect. Wow. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Scott goes to see him, the, the blob in his trailer. And the blob is, the blob is kind of gross. And I mean that in a character way, not necessarily in a physical way. He He's just rude and uncouth. And for some reason, Scott's like, hey, let's bring you back to the X-Men. And he's like, nah. But then Warren and Jean Grey walk in. They're like, hey, let's bring you back to the X-Men. He's like, oh, oh, oh yeah. So um, he says a few rude things to Jean and Scott blasts him with his beams but they just decide to be friends anyway. They take the Blob back to the X-Men. Blob shows off his powers, and they're like, hey, you want to join the X-Men? He's like, uh, nah, I'm good. Catch you later, Bill and Ted. And Xavier's like, oh my gosh, this has never happened before. I've invited all these X-Men to be part of the X-Men, and they've never rejected the X-Men before. I showed him where we live. I showed him my my uh, toupee collection. I, I don't know. So um, <laughs> the blob leaves and they try to stop him and they almost succeed. So he takes a sewer route to get home. But he gets back to the circus and he goes to the circus leader. and He's like, yo, chief, I'm a mutant. That means I'm better than you. I'm going to run the circus now. And that means that instead of doing circusy things, we're going to go attack the X-Men. And so they go and attack the X-Men with all their circus animals and everything, which means that like there's this giraffe that sticks his neck into the X-Men window and slurps up Bobby's ice cream. Bobby does a lot of ice cream. And I think mm. he makes it with his own like ice powers, which like means he makes the ice cream with his hands and he eats it. And I think um, that that's kind of gross because it's like sweaty boy hand ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent flavor. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. Um, so to make a long story tolerable, there's a really long fight with yes. the circus. And it goes on so long that Xavier has the time to invent new technology in his house. He finds a way to take his mental hypnotizing powers and like disperse them over a large crowd. So he basically wants to pull the same move he did with the Vanisher, but to an entire circus. And long story short, he does. The Blob and the Circus beat all the X-Men, and they make their way into the mansion, and Xavier pulls out his hoodad and beats them all. Um, he also mentally communicates with uh, Gene and the X-Men to help them escape, and all that happens at basically the same time. And the circus people are like, huh, what are we doing over here? 
And the blob's like, I don't know, but I don't want to get fired, so let's go home. And they yoink on out of there. And the X-Men are like, hey, Xavier, you saved the day again with your powerful brain, because only brain power can save the day. The end. If it's if it's mutant brain power. If it's mutant brain power. Yeah, so like this I have a mixed feeling about this one. Yeah. Like, um, it's great that the blob is already in issue three. That's cool. Because mm-hmm. he's like kind of a, not kind of, he is a classic X-Men villain. I mean, um, next to Magneto, he's certainly bigger than the Vanisher. Much bigger than the Vanisher. Yeah, the Vanisher was so, like, a really, like, sad story. So it was nice. Hey, the Blob. And I like that he's essentially is the Blob. It's, I think of the Blob. So right out of the gate, they got his character right. It's not some weird thing that we have to uh, suffer the through. Um, but... Yeah, the X-Men are kind of big jerkheads in this, I feel like, and uh, kind of make the situation worse by being themselves or something. Yeah. Um, the Blob is not the nicest of guys, but they no. basically force him onto their team and then attack him when he says he's good. Yeah, like, I'm not saying he he certainly wasn't charismatic, but he didn't do anything overtly evil to them either. He just kind of was like, the X-Men seem lame to me. And hey, Jean Grey is really hot. Which, by the way, every X Man on the team does the exact same thing to her. So, what's yeah, the difference? They're always wolfing out on her, like, right? Always. But they're just not overweight, I guess. So it's okay. And then, uh, yeah, the recruitment process is horrible. What's the idea? Come over to our mansion. I'm gonna make you a guinea pig in our danger room. I made up danger room. They haven't called it a danger room, but but that's what it is. And no, they uh, called it that last time. They just don't call it this time. Okay. And then. Uh, you know, if you don't join us, we're going to beat you up. And I don't even know what the end goal there is. We're just going to beat on you till you agree to join us, I guess, because we've given you all our secrets. Like, there's no, like, waiting room. You can't put them in a waiting room and just have a casual conversation with them. Right. Say, like, so, I don't know if you're aware, but there's these things called mutants, which, by the way, he doesn't even know he's a mutant. So, like, that's how you introduce him to all this stuff. It just seems but like... he's quick on that propaganda bandwagon. He's like, I'm a homo <laughs> superior. That means I'm better than you. Yeah, Right. That's true, but they created that in a way. So, yeah, their their recruitment process is not worked out yet. I guess. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, and there's not a whole lot of story to this. No. They the the story movements are they find out about the blob, they bring the blob back, the blob rejects them, and there's an attack on the mansion. Mm-hmm. That's it. Everything else is actions pieces and action sequences at those various locations. And I like a good action sequence, but because there's so little movement of the story, the individual sequences have to be really protracted. Which I feel is how this book has been all three issues so far, in a way. Like, there's a lot of training scenes. And then there's Mm -hmm. a lot, like last issue, there was a lot of, let's do shenanigans around the city for no reason. This time they had a reason at least, but it was still a bunch of shenanigans that, you know, you skipped over in your summary and rightly so like them trying to find the mutant. They did all these dumb, Hey, that's a mutant. Oh no, it's not. I was wrong. Blah, blah, blah things. Um, and they did that last issue too. And yeah, big long fight with ultimately, you know, Xavier just using his brain power to wipe everything and start over. So, uh, I don't know. It's feeling a little repetitive. Well, um, I had a few thoughts I wrote down about this one. First okay. off, it's kind of crazy we didn't mention this, you know, 10 episodes ago. But um, I have been reading some Doom Patrol, 
Mm-hmm. And actually, as we're recording this, the Titans episode that features the Doom Patrol just hit the airwaves or the internet waves today, and we just watched that. So um, the Doom Patrol and the X-Men have some history together, or at least some alleged history together, because, okay, let me describe the team to you, Mike. I know you don't have a whole lot of Doom Patrol uh, under your belt. So there's this secluded mansion. Um, where these people live who've been ostracized by society because they're different. And uh, they're led by a mysterious man of questionable morality who rides around in a wheelchair. Um, And their powers are such that they can't really fit in with the people. Um, And Hmm. yeah, that's the Doom Patrol. Oh, wow. And did they come out first? (laughs) They came out like at exactly the right time where Stan and Jack could have picked up an issue okay. and run with some of the base concepts. Hmm. Like like four months before the X-Men number one, My Greatest Adventure 80 or 81 or whatever the first issue of Doom Patrol was, came out. And so it's just the timing of it all that is so mysterious. Maybe mysterious is too straight, uh, weird a word, but you know. Coincidental. Yeah, coincidental raises questions because Yeah. yeah. So I don't I don't know much about the Doom Patrol. I'm I'm sure I've read a DC comic like with them guest starring in it. I just maybe it was like a Superman comic or something. But I I know I recognize them when I see them, and partly that's because they all look so like quote unquote freaky. You Mm -hmm. know? They don't look like your standard chisel jaw superhero. I think one guy has like bandages and the one girl is big and then there's like a living robot or something like that. That's them, yep. Okay, so I'm surprised that if Stan did get the X-Men from that, that he didn't incorporate a little of that physically into them because you think he would eat up this idea that they're all grotesque and, you know, every member of the team is like the thing, you know? Right, right. But all these guys are pretty handsome and then can pretty much just blend in except for maybe like the beast's feet and hands. Mm-hmm. So he didn't go that far, I guess. But Yeah, it's interesting because all of the X-Men do have the ability, at least all of the current X-Men where we are, have mm-hmm. the ability to pass. Mm-hmm. Pass for human, which, you know, we'll definitely get to an era where that's not the case. Right. Uh, well, I don't know if we'll get there, but there are definitely, you know... <laughs> That happens. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the blob. Yeah. Yeah. The blob. I mean, he lives in a carnival, which is, you know, you can pass for carnival. It's not exactly, you know, regular society. He would get looks at the grocery store, you know? Yeah. They may not Um, think he's a mutant, but he'd get looks. So, yeah. I don't want to accuse. Honestly, I have not read anyone's opinions on this. I have not read any like, yes, this must be true because X, Y, Z, or no, this mm-hmm. can't possibly be true. And I'm offended. You would have suggested. So I'm not trying to like take a stance on it. I'm just saying, yeah. here's what happened. The timing is interesting. If not suspicious, you know, are there connections? Who knows? Jack's dead and Stan's not going to talk. And we said the same thing about fantastic foreign challengers of the unknown. Right. Um, and we've also we all know that plenty of Marvel concepts come from DC in some form or another. But the nice thing is, is they don't just rest on that. They always make it their own thing, and oftentimes make it better. Like obviously, the X Men are way bigger than the Doom Patrol now. So right. And, and somebody on Twitter this some, week yeah. said that ideas ideas are not stories. Ideas, you know, creative people can sit in a room and bounce a hundred ideas off each other until something sticks. Mm-hmm. So. 
you know, they have Doom Patrol and X-Men are based upon or use some similar ideas, but they are definitely separate concepts with their own positives and negatives and everything else. Yeah. So how was that episode of Doom Patrol? On, uh, uh, it, was, it was it was pretty great because uh, Beast Boy um, in the comics, Beast Boy's origin is with the Doom Patrol and then he joins oh. the Teen Titans much later. Um, and so they incorporated that concept into the storyline in a way that I really wasn't expecting. And I thought it was really good. Cool. Um, so in the first two issues, there were complaints that the X-Men didn't really have much in the way of personalities Mm -hmm. and that the only thing that, you know, that, that the beast seemed like a thing Hulk knockoff. Yeah. So this issue (laughs) <laughs> we get personalities. Yeah, so somewhere around issue two and a half, I guess Hank decided to stop pretending. Yeah. And now he's super smart, which is just so much better in my opinion. But that's also hindsight talking because I knew that that's how he's supposed to be. But it is better because we already have the thing and we already have the Hulk. And, you know, there's that one panel on page uh, uh, page 14 where he's reading a book with his feet. Yes, I love like, when Beast does things with his feet. Yeah, but it's like that just summarizes the character right there. Like he's a super brain, but with the body of a beast, you know? It's perfect. Great uh-huh. dichotomy. And he's reading Advanced Calculus, which this is high school beast, not yeah. you know, multiple doctorate beast. So that's pretty great. Yeah. Um, and Warren Worthington the third is the show off. Uh-huh. And he has a big old crush on Gene. Actually, everyone has a crush on Gene, except for maybe Bobby, who pretends sometimes. Um, but and you know, did, did they talk about him having money before, or are we just supposed to assume that because of these hot rods and stuff he has? I th- that's part of I think the new okay. the new concept with him. He is rich boy extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Cyclops has become sourpuss, which is totally him. Yes, uh, straight laced sourpuss, completely introverted, and cursed, cursed eyes. Like the only guy not you know pushing his way down the hallway trying to get to Gene first in the beginning of this book is Cyclops. He's got his hands in his pockets and he's sulking. And he's like, even though I love her the most, I could never be with a person because I would just kill ma- them. It makes me wonder how the, the the books would have read at the time, like how the shipping talk would have worked because like we are reading this with the hindsight that Scott is going to get Gene. Uh-huh. So he's like the, he's like the, the tortoise in the tortoise and the hair race. Um, but at the time, is he just one among many? Are there angel shippers and beast shippers and and Cyclops, you know, seems like the fuddy-duddy who doesn't deserve her? I don't know. Or, yeah, maybe they're setting – like if this was a uh, TV show, you this is kind of setting up the will-they-won't-they thing, maybe. Like if he's constantly um, thinking about how much he loves her, that's kind of setting us up to want them to get together. Does she – I can't remember. Does she mention being attracted to him in this issue? I don't think she's mentioned anything, and I'm not even sure she has thoughts in her brain yet. She's just Gene. The yeah, girl that, that they all want. That's a fair assessment. They have not done anything to give Jean much more personality beyond the boobs. And I by mean, the she, way. She's the girl on the team. Can you tell me if page four is an error? Like, are the thought on the last panel, are the thought bubbles supposed to be coming from Professor X's brain or Scott's brain? Because you, you have gotten to the notorious part of the story. Yeah. I never in my life have ever heard of the idea that Professor X had a thing for Gene. So I didn't know if this was just like a yeah. one-off panel or if this is going to happen again um, and again. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty well forgotten after this that he ever said anything 
except that it does come into the ultimate X-Men characterizations. Hmm. And I've heard, I haven't read it. I don't know where or when, but I have heard that it gets brought up again way, way down the road. Um, whenever she's an adult. It's so, creepy. It is. And I've been giving this a lot of thought. Okay. And I, I do not at all want to sound like I'm trying to put an okay onto Xavier. You know, definitely don't want to put any sort of okay on, on the idea of an adult person and an underage girl. That's, that's, you know, no, but just a couple things. One consent laws were different then. Mm-hmm. She was 16. That was of the age of consent. Um, so it's not an illegal thought that he's having. Is it still creepy? Sure. But there's, there's because of the age gap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, he has a thought that he never, ever acts on. Yeah. And what are you going to do? You know, people have right. thoughts. People have thoughts. And I think lots of people are very often attracted to people they can't have mm-hmm. for any of a number of different reasons. So just because you're thinking about another person's significant other doesn't mean that you are going to actively pursue that or even would consider actively pursuing that. It's just a thought. So anyways. And he also, as we'll find out, she that was not her first day at the mansion. Like he's been training yeah. her longer than that. So they've had like personal experience together. She didn't just show up and he's like, ooh, hot girl, you know? Yeah. From that perspective, setting aside the age gap and the mm-hmm. age uh, limits and everything, he has much more rapport with her than anyone else. And on that level alone, he is much more likely to have an actual affection for her than, than anyone else, you know, would have. So I don't know. It is. Is he supposed to be a 50 year old man or is he supposed to be a 20 year old mutant who lost his hair? (laughs) You know, that is a fantastic point. We don't know. Um, I, I really want to go get the Kane Marco origin story now and find out what the timing is because off the top of my head, I want to say he's a child in World War II. Okay. Which puts him in his 20s right Here. now. Yeah. So that's not that horrible. No, it's not. Actually, no, it's not. If he's in his 20s right now and she's 16, that's happening all the time right now. Um, I mean, it's illegal in a lot of states, but not in every state. And that's mm. a thing. Anyways. So, yeah. I'm not trying to validate... Xavier, I'm just trying to say there are other sides to this issue that that could be considered. Boy, between this and Reed Richards' fling with uh, his neighbor Sue, like we really have to fix Marvel a lot. <laughs> and to be fair, Xavier actually does a lot of terrible acts over the course of his lifetime that, mm. you know, oh, including sexual acts because, you know, he sleeps with, he he has slept with one of his patients before that, you know, wasn't appropriate at all and she might not have had entirely full control over it so yeah he's not a nice person no he's not he sure hasn't been so far anyway yeah but um okay so we've talked about the different personalities bobby is the only one who really just seems pretty much is the same guy he already was the eager Uh kid yeah um i think they're trying to give bobby and angel like a uh, human torch thing camaraderie slash hate Sort of, oh, yeah. like they're always fighting over stupid stuff. That would make sense. Yeah, uh, you mean uh, Bobby and Beast? I thought it was Bobby and Angel who were fighting in this issue. No, I don't remember. It now. may be. It may be. 
Well, everyone's kind of uh, envious of, of Angel because he sweeps Jane off her feet, literally. Because now Beast is too smart for that, and I think Scott would never get involved with, like, you know, being snarky with somebody mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So it has to be kind of the juveniles. So it's going to be Angel and Bobby. So I'm running out of things to say about this. I do yeah. think, you know, bringing the blob back to the base whenever he doesn't really want to be part of the team is is a questionable decision. It, it just makes me wish that if only we had someone who could have realized ahead of time that the Bob was dishonest, someone who could, I don't know, read minds or something, could realize <laughs> that maybe the blob isn't the best person to show their secret hideout to. His brain powers are a little all over the place. Like he's just minding his own business and he can sense a mutant, but then he can't figure out where it's coming from and he can't read Blob's brain either or I don't know. Yeah. So they need to figure out how his powers actually work, I think. Or maybe he just invents some sort of machine like that starts with a C that can <laughs> that can figure things out for him. I don't know. Yeah. I made the Cerebro joke during the uh, synopsis because I, I think we've said in a previous issue that you could – you could headcanon that he actually does use Cerebro off panel and then it's like pretending to have the impulses himself to <laughs> keep Cerebro a secret. Just to make it look really impressive to everybody. Right. Which, <laughs> you know what, is totally in Xavier's ball, like Bailey. Oh, That's yeah. exactly the kind of thing you would do. I detect the presence of another mutant. Wow, he's good. Why, yes, I am impressive. Yeah, I don't know. I think this was, I want to say, maybe my favorite issue, but we've only read three, so... Right. Uh, but it had some issues. It had some issues, this issue. Yeah. And the only other thing that, that I want to mention is that um, Jean uses her telekinesis with that knife when she can't actually see what she's doing. Mm. And that, that feels like a she has she's maturing her power set and growing in her powers. And using a knife when you can't watch what you're doing is a pretty cool trick. Oh, yeah. And I feel like also they're really pushing that Cyclops is not energy blasts. It's a uh, kinetic blast. Cause he doesn't really like burn through anything. And he's pushing a lot of people around. Yeah. Uh, Gil Simone will fight you on this, but I'm pretty sure it's con- their concussive blasts. Yeah. They always have been as far as I know, like he hits, he shoots the blob and it doesn't like burn his skin or flay his skin off or anything. It just knocks him over. Right. Right. Anyway. But like in the, um, in the current X-Men films, they're just really, really powerful concussive blasts. Like you don't want to get in the way cause they would concussive right through you. Well, I, that's one of the things I forgot this fight, like Cyclops was the guy to beat, you know, in, in the Avengers, it's always like, Oh, here comes Thor. Now uh-huh. we gotta be serious. But Cyclops is like, you get the net on that guy. And then he blows the net open and it's like, Oh, let's attack him with a elephant. And he knocks the elephant back 20 feet. And then these, these dudes with like five guys with a pole try and ram him. And he, op- they open the door and Cyclops is there to knock him backwards. Like his visor thing is uh pretty powerful. You know, it makes me think of, makes me think of like the, um, the introverted antisocial dude who's like skinny and, and not very strong and everything. And then he just like opens up a can of whoop ass all over everybody. Yeah. Slim summers. Slim Summers. But yeah, this is uh, this is it for me. I don't yeah. know if I would say it's a tie for number one, because number one has Magneto, and that outweighs the blob by a long shot for me. <laughs> That's but true. But it's a pretty interesting story. But this one has the characters more like the characters, so. Yeah. I was thinking, like, God, why do they train so much? And then I realized, you know what? In the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now, they train so much. So maybe that it's okay, and we should just embrace that part. I was kind of annoyed by it, but now I'm realizing that's the X-Men's thing. Of all the teams in the world, they're always training. 
And Claremont would use that as sort of a palate cleaning. Like, yeah. okay, we're starting a new arc. You had something happen big last ep- last issue. We've we've come to the end of one really protracted arc. We're going to start something new today. Here's a training sequence. Yeah, exactly. Shall we move on to uh, Tales to Astonish? <sighs> well, I kind of don't want to because now I have to say what happens. But yes, let's do that. Tales to Astonish number 52 has two stories. The first one that we care about right now is called The Black Knight Strikes, um, written by Stan Lee with art by Dick Ayers, which I don't know that he did the last one. Anyway. I think it's been Don Heck up until now. Yeah. And you can tell because it was like kind of jarring when I opened the cover. But anyway, letters by Artie Semek. And um, it starts out with a full-on action bit where Giant Man, I guess, has been tracking this dude named Nathan Garrett, who's like a scientist. And he's selling scientific secrets to the Reds. And we open up with like uh, Giant Man crashing that party. We don't know how he found out about all this and stuff, but he's Giant Man. He's a professional. He knows. The ants told him, I guess, probably. And uh, he does some Giant Man shenanigans and captures Garrett. I think the red, the uh, communists get away. Um, takes him to the police. They arrest him, process him. I think they put like this huge bail on him so he can't get out. But then the Reds like pay for the bail so that Garrett won't talk at trial. So he uses his... Uh, the bail money to essentially uses the uh, what is it called when you're out on, when you're out on bail he uh, uses that opportunity to fly off to Europe and while he's there I guess he gets really bored because he's you know uh, laying low nothing to do no secrets to sell and he gets into like mythology over there because in Europe everything's old and there's lots of statues of mythological things and he's like you know what I'm a scientist and in the Marvel universe scientists are just inventing weird magic stuff all the time. So I'm going to do that too. So he spends months trying to figure out how to like crossbreed an eagle with a horse and he pulls it off. (laughs) Now he has a Pegasus. And while he was, you know, waiting for the crossbreeding process to happen on the side, he also invented this lance that can shoot like 18 different things out of its tip. And um, he creates an identity for himself and he calls himself the black Knight. And he goes back to America and he robs a bank on his flying Pegasus. He looks really cool. He's got like this, you know, full on buckethead Black Knight outfit. Uh, think of jousting, right? And he's got this lance, and the lance like disintegrates the the uh, cash truck and all that stuff. But the wasp comes across him while he's doing that, and she tries to stop him, but his Pegasus is too fast and flies too high and gets away. So she goes back to the lab, and she's like, "Honey, I just saw a dude rob the place with like uh, a winged horse." And, and Hank Pym's like, oh, stop making things up. We don't live in a fantastic world where crazy things happen. And she's like, sorry. And then he turns on the radio and it says a winged horse guy robbed the place. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and she's like, now you owe me an apology. And he's like, be quiet. I'm listening. <laughs> and uh, wow. no, I don't know. Something like that. He's not very yeah, nice. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, anyway, then he, tu- he tunes it. Even though he's giant man now, he still uses the ants. And he tunes into the ant frequency and he figures out that, like, the police are after the Black Knight. So he and Wasp go over there. Turns out the Black Knight is trying to steal a helicopter. I don't know why, because it flies and he doesn't, even though he does. So they fly, the police fly Giant Man and the Wasp up to meet the Black Knight. Um, And Giant Man jumps out and grabs onto the helicopter. The Black Knight's trying to 
steel on his Pegasus, I guess. And they get into kind of a fight, and the Black Knight shoots like uh, you know bright lights at him, and he wraps him with his like a bolo, and then he shoots a uh, tickle spray on him <laughs> or something like that, and it, it makes him giggle. So he lets go of the helicopter and he starts to fall to his death. But then he's also Ant Man, so he shrinks and gets out of the bolo. And now that he's small, the wasp can fly over and grab him, and she like catches him, and they end up on the back of uh, Black Knight's horse where they get into some more fighting. Giant Man gets knocked off. They land in, like, a circus. Luckily, like, there's, like, a parachute ride or something that Giant Man jumps on so he doesn't die. So Black Knight and Giant Man are down there fighting on the roller coaster. Meanwhile, Wasp is up in the air on the back of the horse. She grows to regular size and tries to, like, steer it, but the horse bucks her off out of loyalty, I guess, and she starts to fall to her death. And Giant Man can sense that she's falling... Or hear her screaming with his awesome giant man antennae, antennas. And so he does this leap and he catches her. And then the Black Knight tries to like shoot them in the back. But his antenna again sense or can hear like the gun click. So he quickly pops a pill and shrinks. And Black Knight misses, falls off the railing and is about to die. But his horse scoops up, picks him up and flies away. And Giant Man and the Wasp are left to wondering why all the amazing villains always escape. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Wow. Quick quick side note. Uh-huh. Dick Ayers did the second half of the Human Top story as well. Oh, okay. And that I was his big... I didn't enjoy his art on this one. Yeah. I, whenever he goes over to Sergeant Fury, I really like that work. Okay. Um... But I think it might be like the humanity and the um, the realism. I think he does a really good of bringing that to a to a life. Uh, but he's going to have a run on this book for a while, so we're going to. <laughs> oh well. Don Heck, I think he has another random story a few issues from now. But this is basically the Dick Ayers run on on Giant Man. Okay. Um, but I mentioned earlier that Doom Patrol is going to have connection to two books this episode. So. <laughs> One of the Doom Patrol uh, characters is Rita, Rita Farr, who can grow really big and shrink really small. Okay. I know who that is. I didn't know she could shrink, too. She can shrink, too. And you know who who couldn't grow when the Doom Patrol started? Mm Mm-hmm. But gained the power to grow very soon thereafter? Yeah. So, um... It you know people always draw the connection with the Doom Patrol and the X Men, but there might be something worth saying to connect um, the Doom Patrol with Ant Man, Giant Man as well. And we were saying that you know that that Marvel takes ideas and makes them better, but in this case, I'm thinking I'm not loving Giant Man as much as I was loving Ant Man. Uh, I'm going to agree with you, and it's kind of what I remembered from my last time reading through all this several years ago. Uh, that just once he turns into Giant Man, you think it's going to be great, but there. There's a certain something lost. His theme is lost or muddled. It becomes muddled. Um, It's like if, you know, Batman has the Batmobile and the Batcave and whatever, and then he decides one day to be a completely different superhero, but still keep all that stuff and use it. Yeah. Ant-Man was so on brand. Yeah. And also this first, the first page like actually reminded me one of the reasons he's dumb is like he turns all big and starts fighting them. They go, uh, yeah, but you're not bulletproof. So thanks for the big target. I'm like, yeah, that's actually a horrible idea. To uh-huh. grow, to grow twenty feet tall in front of a guy, a group of guys full of guns, and you're not bulletproof. Right. That is I definitely. Mean, 
Ant-Man. Ant-Man never had that issue. You can't shoot Ant-Man. He's too tiny. Right. He's zipping around on an ant. Yeah. Um, and, and he I, keeps, he keeps doing the whole shrinking and growing thing and he keeps using the ants. And I feel like it's just ingenuous to be call yourself giant man. It's just not. Nah. Well, this issue was using the shrinking in a way that I don't think the giant man book has been doing. And maybe Dick, maybe that's Dick Ayers's influence, but I know we've talked about whenever he turned into giant man, he stopped being Ant-Man. And then it was weird because in the Avengers, he was being Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, I don't know if Don Heck felt like he wanted to, um, emphasize the giantness and de-emphasize the antness, but he does a little bit of anting in this one too. He does to get out of the, the ropes or whatever. Right. Okay. Mike, he changed size to get out of a trap. Yeah. He never does that. He never does that. But now he has the, these pills. Yeah. Now he has these pills. Although you'll notice that they did the whole canister thing with the wasp because she couldn't shrink to save herself. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, that's because I'm out of pills. It's like, really? You can't just put like 500 in a bottle on your belt? Come on. Or more than one. <laughs> more than one, right? <laughs> like, uh, I changed a wasp size earlier, and I'm big again, and I can't get a wasp size again. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's very not good, especially when you can only fly when you're shrunk. Right. Oh, but speaking of, um, whenever they were talking about the Black Knight making the Pegasus, I was like, really? He put eagle's wings on a horse? Then I was like, wait a second. Henry Pym put wasp wings on a woman. So you know what? You get a pass. He probably read Henry Pym's like science log on that or something and just went with it. Right? Yeah. I do like the visual in my head of Black Knight versus Giant Man. It's like, like, you know, you're really big. Well, fine. I'm just going to get on my winged horse and fly up to you and then poke you in the face with my lance. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's just something funny about the oversized giant man and the guy riding around on the horse in the air to fight him. Well, the Black Knight is a very visually cool looking character. That's for sure. I think anyway, the, yeah. origi- the original one and the, the heroic version that comes later are both. I always thought they both looked really neat. Um, this origin here well, is a little of hokey, original, but yeah, yeah, it is. Speaking of original, did you know there was a 1950s Black Knight? Like in the com in comics? Yeah. No, I don't think I did. So uh, Atlas ran a Black Knight comic for like five issues. Oh, and it was the Sir Percy that you read about on Wikipedia when you look at Black Knight, and he worked for King Arthur and Merlin the Wizard and all that jazz. So is that around um, the same time they brought it was out? actually when we were talking about Merlin the Mad and how – I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just asking if the Atlas thing, is that like around the same time they brought back Cap and Human Torch and Submariner and all that? Yeah, yeah. Like within a, a year or two of that. So um, we were talking about Merlin the Mad and how he wasn't really Merlin because Merlin was off doing this other stuff. That was actually Black Knight-related continuity. So mm. um, yeah, so the – we're going to find out later. <laughs> yeah. There are connections between this Black Knight and that Black Knight, but that's not even on. The only thing that's similar here is the design. This Black Knight, like the, the design of the helmet and everything, is very much the 1950s Black Knight. Yeah, because I knew this guy and the next guy are related, but they sure don't talk up or set that up or talk about that at all in this issue. So that must be a huge retcon at some point, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which we'll eventually get to. Uh, but the other thing is like, I wonder if Giant Man's just not giant enough. And that's another problem I have with Giant Man right now. Because when I think of Giant Man, like, 
you've read like Marvels, right? Or something like that. Where, right. Or like he's stepping over the street and like he's 20 feet high or something. This giant man's like, I can grow eight feet or 12 or 16 or whatever it is. But he's he not- goes to double his height and then he stops. Yeah, that's kind of lame. That's not that good. Right. Like oh, he you're, needs- you're much bigger, but not much stronger. So, yeah, you're just clumsy. <laughs> yeah, like if he was the size of a building and he just, you know, moved his hand down and knocked over 28 people, that'd be awesome. But he's just like a really tall dude who gets beat up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. So he's not eh. that impressive yet. Yeah, I agree. No, Ant-Man was cooler. He had the helmet. He rode on flying ants. He always seemed to have some ingenious way of getting out of flypaper. You know, it's awesome. This guy's just Hen- boring. Henry's a real ass. In this issue. Uh-huh. Especially when it comes to the setting up the stuff with Jan. Jan comes and shows up and she's running late for their science. And, you know, she's like, oh, you won't believe what happened all the way over here. And he says, for the love of Pete, Jan, can't you ever just admit you forgot instead of making up some ridiculous excuse all the time? Yeah. And then imme- and, immediately is disproven. Right. And but doesn't like, apologize. He doesn't believe he doesn't apologize. He doesn't believe the woman that he says he loves, which, by the way, is a whole thing. He says he loves her in this. Um, and then he believes his aunts over Jan. He does say he loves her in this, doesn't he? Page six. I wrote it down. I said he used the L word and it wasn't lesbians. Like, but he still they still have this relationship like she is wanting his affection and he's not giving it. Um the only time we've ever seen them like canoodling and looking like they actually love each other is not in this book. <laughs> it's in the Avengers and the freaking Incredible Hulk. <laughs> so it's like, when no, is this? Incredible Hulk. It was, uh, it was Iron Man. Yeah. So when is this going to happen? Like where they're actually like on the couch kissing and watching TV or something. It's not yeah. going on, you know? And it's almost like passing. Like, I love you too, kid. Now suppose you switch on the, like, yeah, they're comfortable enough in their affection that he can use the word love sarcastically. But yeah. I don't think he's right to the commitment to a to a relationship th- phase yet. I guess, but it's he's proving weird. himself more and more not the man that Jan deserves. <laughs> right? He calls her a gold digger. She is rich, Henry. She is rich. Yeah, she does that's not a good point. Need your money? You've probably taken want- her money, right? She just wants some affection. When she says buy her jewelry, he means do something to show you like her. Yeah. Not that he she needs your gold. Well, you know, maybe if he treats her bad, she'll stick around. Maybe that's his theory. I but don't it's know. it's almost sweet because whenever he's about to jump out of the helicopter, he's like, "If I do, Miss Major, tell the wasp that oh, forget it. She must know how I really feel about her." Yeah, yeah. So they're but, throwing little hints there, but they're just not like full on. I still don't feel like they're a full on couple yet, or they haven't done anything to yeah. make it seem that way. But because that's something like Clark Kent can say about Lois having never dated her, too. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. She knows how I feel. Uh, anyway, uh, we, get some, we get some four panel pages in this, which are kind of a thing that haven't really become a thing yet. But and Kirby's going to help them make it make them a thing. But it's nice to see four panel pages starting to happen. Yeah. A little more breathing room now that these stories are expanding page count wise. So I'm running out of things to say, but right towards the end on page 13. Mm hmm. Um, she, okay. The previous page, she does something for him. She saves him. And he says, terrific, Jan, I could kiss you for this. And she says, well, who's stopping you? And I'd like to think that they actually paused and looked at each other. Uh And he thought about actually kissing her. 
and then he got timid and awkward. It's like, when when are you going to learn that there's 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 a time and place for everything, Jan? Come on. <laughs> but wouldn't it have been cooler if he just kissed her? If he just kissed her. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Maybe maybe they weren't wanting maybe because this is geared towards kids and they didn't want kids to go ooh gross or something. Maybe. And they pull up they lay land on the helicopter, they pull down on the helicopter and almost kill everybody inside. Yeah. Have you ever been to a carnival that has parachute rides? I have. Really? Yeah. That seems so out of control. No, the parachutes are um they're all fake. And they're all on like a spinning thing that goes up and down. Oh, I thought these people were just jumping off the edge of buildings in a parachute. It's like, who's to say <laughs> no. where they're going to land? No, they uh. get pulled up into the air and then they go around in a circle in the air and they lower back down. Oh, I guess I got to go to more carnivals. I don't know. Yeah. Or amusement parks or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I really have just like one more thing to say. Okay. And that is on the very last page, 18, Uh the very last panel in the caption. It says, there you have it. Another reason why Giant Man and the Wonderful Wasp are becoming two of fandom's most talked about new characters. Uh Uh-huh. They aren't new. Well, in the grand history of the universe, they're pretty new. But yeah, they're not new, new. Even Janet's been here for over a year now. Yeah. Or almost a year. I think they're really starting to get into the hyperbole. With all this stuff. Yeah. They're doing something. Okay. So. But we're up. not done yet. Yeah. There's more waspy goodness. So as with last time, if you all remember kids, the wasp now visits charity places and tells stories um, because they have all these Marvel has all these, uh, you know, old stories that they don't know what to do with anymore. So they're going to frame them with the wasp and make it a wasp story. That's our theory. Anyway, this one's called. Not what they seem with Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, uh, G. Bell, and Art George Simek. Bell. George Bell and Art Simek. Anyway, instead of going to a – I think she was at a veteran's home last time or something – or a veteran's hospital last time. Now she's going to an orphanage and they're all waiting. Oh, where's the wasp? And she shows up and they're all, yay, the wasp. And she's like, let me tell you another sci-fi story because those are my favorite, I guess. Um, I like the idea of the wasp loving sci-fi. I wonder if that's true. So far do she too. does. Okay. So she tells a story about like 30 billion years in the future on a prison planet. There's like five guys and they escape and they have a ship waiting that they stash somehow. And they get in it and they fly off into outer space. And they're like, well, what now? What now, Larry? What do we do? And he's like, well, let me tell you something, guys. As a former ex-space pirate, or maybe still a space pirate, because I am a criminal, you got to be really careful about where you choose to land. What planet? Because it's always deceiving. You think it's a normal planet, but it turns out it's a planet where, you know, the humans are ruled by flowers or all the animals are carnivorous or or the people you see on the surface are just robots being controlled by trolls from the, you know, underneath and stuff. So you got to be really careful what you pick. And then someone looks out the window and says, ah, space patrol. And then Larry's like, just go to that planet right there real fast. So they go down to that planet and they see men fighting women. And they're like, well, that doesn't seem so bad. Why don't we join in and we'll help the men win because we're men too. And women are dumb, right, guys? Yeah, it's 1963. High five. So they jump out and they help beat up all the women. And then they're like, hey, guys, um, can we stay here or something? And they're like, the, the, the space alien men are like, thanks for helping us. But you don't know what you just did because... We were fighting because the women are really upset about how we always take alien visitors and put them in glass cages and make them, 
you know, like zoo animals until they rot and die. But you just helped us overthrow that government. So now we're in charge and we're going to put you in this uh, glass case and make you zoo animals until you rot and die. And then it cuts back to uh, Wasp telling that story to children and they look like horrified and they're crying. And she's like, see, prisoners never escape. And then she flies out the window. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> what is there to say about these? I don't know. <laughs> I kind of feel like, okay. There's historical precedent for women playing the role of moral, you know, the people who drive the morality of the culture, uh-huh. whereas the men can just do whatever they want to and are, are you know, not reliable to be moral people. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like it's feeding into those stereotypes. Sure. Um, that, yeah, yeah, the women were the only ones who were keeping us from killing you guys. So right. uh, <laughs> since you helped us kill them, <laughs> have a nice life. Yeah, exactly. But there's not really a whole lot to say. It's the same story as the last issue, essentially, like some sci-fi thing where there's a twist. Yeah. Um, So I do like that she's going to different kinds of places and telling stories and Uh going to an orphanage, you know, leaves less room for misogyny than the veterans hospital did. Yes. So, but I, I don't have anything to say about this backup. Yeah, it's okay. It doesn't give us any information other than now we know Wasp loves sci-fi movie. Sci-fi stories. That's about it. Yeah, she's probably really excited about this new um, British show she's heard about starting this month called Doctor Who. Could be. Yeah, could be. Or or the filming of this new uh, Star Trek show that's happening, supposedly. They, they're making a pilot. Yeah. Um, I don't know. She yeah. might be. I hope she gets CBS. <laughs> so... We're going to move over to our uh, last issue for the episode, which is Strange Tales 117. And this features the return of the eel, which was um, the character that I thought was called the living bomb for so long, because that's what it (laughs) says on his first first issue cover. The living bomb. Yeah. And uh, um, but yeah. So also, this this is the first time that Doctor Strange gets mentioned on a cover. Oh, that's cool. He's been lurking in the background the entire time, and now he's finally getting cover mentions. And I think um, he's going to share the cover with Torch every issue going forward until they start, like, they'll completely alternate. Like, they'll do shared building for a while, and then they'll start alternating between the two features. So, mm, Like Tales of um, Suspense. And- yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um... Human Torch is at home throwing fiery darts at stuff in his house because he's not trying to burn down his own home. And he hears on the news that the eel is at large again. So he turns into fire. All right, I'm going to go get the eel. And he flies down. There's the eel. Okay, (laughs) eel, I'm taking you back to prison. And he was like, dude, chill out. Calm your tits. I'm just walking. And um, the warden and the police are there because i guess we're near the prison and like dude torch you can't do that he served his time he's out he's free and torch like but he's a he's a costume supervillain see the costume he's a costume super and eel's like i can wear whatever i want to wear and this is what i want to wear so yeah and torch's like well poo so he goes back home and sue and reed are like it's okay, Torch. We all do dumb stuff every now and then. And John's like, yeah, we do dumb stuff every now and then, but I'm going to be smart. <clears throat> so the eel manages to get his old job back um, as Leopold Strike 
Uh, he was he had a job doing something at an aquarium, um, and he really likes guess what the eels at the aquarium. So he goes and he like hangs out with the eels. He puts on his costume and he walks through the sewers. And the torch um, is out flying about, trying to figure out what to do about him. And he realizes uh, the torch finds out in the newspaper that there was a stamp something or other stolen. Or I don't know, maybe that wasn't the eel. But yeah, stamp anyways. collection. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's like, I wonder if that was the eel. And then we also find out the eel. Um, learns about this really awesome ruby from like India or something uh, that he wants to go steal. So he goes and he steals the ruby and the ruby turns out to not be a ruby. It's on fire or it's a fire ruby or something. <laughs> and so the eel, it's the, it's the torch is what it is. The torch is there to catch the eel, the eel and the torch fight. Um, the eel gives in trouble because his suit is all slippery with asbestos grease which makes him slippery like an eel and also prevents Johnny from flaming on. Uh, they fight. Uh, it's basically fists on fists because Johnny can't use his power. They're in the aquarium fighting and um, the eel beats up Johnny and is going to throw him in a trap door with a shark when he finally gets his flame back. And um, the, the, the asbestos grease, the eel keeps it in a vat in the aquarium. So the torch... He can't harm the asbestos grease, but he can heat the tank that it's in until it melts. So the asbestos grease flows out because molten metal won't hold it, and the um, the eel slips. So that's how the torch gets the eel. He makes him slip and fall on grease. He falls through the trapdoor into the eel tank. Irony, because the eels are electric and they're causing him shocks. And the torch is like, I'm just going to leave him in there for a minute just to, you know, mess with him a little bit. And then he throws fireballs down at the eel tank. The fireballs don't just fizzle as soon as they hit the water. Oh, no. The fireballs go into the water and scare the eels. And he can save the eel from the eels. And he goes home and reads some Fantastic Four comics. Oh, (laughs) and his family gives him a fish tank at the end because, (laughs) because aquariums... Da, 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 da. He's like, boy, if I ever see a fish again, and they're like, here's a fish tank. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so you know this is fiction because the convicted felon got his job back when he got out of jail. <laughs> I thought the same thing. And honestly, I know it's like not against the law to walk around in your eel outfit, but if that's the outfit you wore when you terrorized the city, maybe they'd be have a problem with it. You know, maybe with, with his attitude. Um. I was trying to think of what he did though. I can barely remember his last. He was like uh, the Batman of the uh, of the uh, the thieving world, and didn't he just like break in and grab some random thing? He didn't even know what it was, and then it turned out to mm-hmm. be like this big. So really, like he wasn't that formidable, and he himself didn't really do that much of anything other than be an idiot who had this thing that was going to blow up that somebody invented. I think he was thinking. I'm going to break into this one scientist guy's laboratory because yeah. surely the science he has lying around will be worth some money. Right, right. Yeah. So he steals some random science and it turns out to be a bomb. It was a bomb that like, if you press this button, it blows up because we needed that invention or something like that. Yeah. And then there was like a time limit to it. Like Torch had to save him before the time limit was out. Mm-hmm. And there was all the drama at the end about the bomb exploding in the air and Killing the torch, almost. Yeah, but none of that had much to do with the eel, other than him just being an idiot. So I guess right. that's why he's not in prison that long, because he didn't really do a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, 
that's all I could justify because he it hasn't been that long since he was in that issue. No, it was those two. Uh, it was those two Jerry Siegel issues that didn't have uh, the Doctor Strange in the back. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like one twelve, one thirteen, and this is one hundred seventeen. Yeah, not that we know how much time passes, but it hasn't been like twenty years to life. At, yeah, at the most five months. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he's definitely not. I mean, I think he's more interesting in this one than he was in the last one. I do too, because he gets eel powers. Right. There's actually some connections with the freaking eels in this. Uh huh. What's the thing about Dick Ayer's art in this? Because the same I, artist as uh, as in Astonish. Much better. Um, I don't know. Again, that splash page, you kind of go, oh, no. But then after that, it's pretty good. Like, I, I think he did a good job with all the, like, sewer traveling scenes. And, the, you know, the fight wasn't horrible. There's some panels where it's kind of like what's going on a little bit. But, you know, you got to think these guys probably get, I like, thi- these guys probably get, like, eight stories to do a month. And so maybe some are rushed and some aren't. Right. I think it is better with faces and realism than with superhuman stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say. I kind of liked how Johnny related to the Fantastic Four, that whenever they were, like, comforting him from his mess up, he didn't just blow them off like he has done in previous issues. Yeah, how come they're not helping him? They're not yeah. helping him emotionally. They're I guess him so. Support. I guess he's just the Glenville. Is it Glenville? Uh, yeah. He's the Glenville superhero, and they're not, so he they just let him do whatever. But he's also worried that, like, the kids at school are going to make fun of him. And I'm like, can you imagine being a, the superhero in your school? And then you screw up really publicly and you have to go to high school and deal with all the high schoolers? Yeah. And yeah, you know, that'd be no weirdly, fun. It weirdly made me think of Jake Lloyd. Oh, right? Yeah, that's a good one. But you'd think that, I mean, like, Human Torch could be homeschooled at this point. Right. <laughs> you think Sue's going to do it? Reed. <laughs> she has... I guess Reed could. Yeah, I don't think Reed would make a very good teacher. I think he'd be like that college professor that obviously knows way more about <laughs> chemistry than you, but doesn't know how to explain it and break it down. Right. He has that like, why don't you understand this attitude? Right. Isn't your so, brain made of rubber also? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'm done with that one. Yep. Kind of a throwaway, like most of these lately. Yeah. Uh, I We... We may have passed the heyday of Strange Tales Torch Stories. Oh, God. Well, that wasn't much of a heyday. <laughs> but there is a backup story, and uh-huh. there are only two stories in this issue. So the yeah. Torch Stories are slightly longer, the Doctor Strange Stories are slightly longer, and there are slightly more ads. Okay. So, Speaking of Steve Ditko, I think today is his birthday as of this recording. Is it not? Oh, really? I did not know his birthday. I thought I saw that on Twitter, but maybe it's one of those like outdated Twitter posts that just showed up on the top. I'm going to look really fast. November 2nd, he was born, which is today. 1927. So he would be 61. Lies, 91. I was going to say, 61 doesn't seem right, but okay. No. Yeah, 91. Wow. Yeah. He had to be 90. I think I knew he had to be 90 years old. So happy birthday, Steve Ditko. We're now going to talk about what I presume is one of your favorite characters. Yes. Doctor Strange faces the many traps of Baron Mordo. Mm-hmm. So this is our Doctor Strange story. Obviously, this is the one who is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe played by Bendicat Cookie Batch. <laughs> and yes. um, so Baron Mordo is back again. Uh, yes. And before I get into the recap, I just have to point out that the copy here calls him one of the most fearful villains of all time. Who gets beat every single story. Right. I mean, Doctor Strange has only had like six stories and three of them are Baron Mordo. I mean, come on. Well, is it pretty much just Baron Mordo and Nightmare or was there something else? 
Nightmare and Baron Mordo, then the break, then Baron Mordo and the origin, then Nightmare, then Baron Mordo. You're right. That's it. Two villains. Yeah, we've had two villains in six stories. Wow. Okay. Um, well, in the origin story, the real villain was Stephen Strange himself. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> okay. So Baron Mordo gets the crazy idea to um, build a model of Doctor Strange's house. It's only a model. And, like, <laughs> and then cover it in some, some evil magic. And by covering it evil magic, it also makes the actual house get covered in evil magic. And I think the house fades away to nothingness. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Strange like looks out his windows like, hey, I'm in a weird nothing place. That's weird. So he leaves his uh, body in his astral form to scope out what's really going on. He uses his uh, Eye of Agamotto, which I don't think it's called that yet, like his, his magical amulet. Yeah. He uses his magical amulet to go and scope things out. And he gets captured in a bottle. Brainiac puts him, I mean, Baron Mordo <laughs> puts him in a bottle and then goes off to kill the Ancient One. Because that's Baron Mordo's thing. He's like, the Ancient One is going to teach me all the magic that you know, so I can be just as powerful as you, and then I can be the Sorcerer Supreme. That word is also not used yet. So Baron Mordo goes halfway around the world, like a long, 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 long way, um, and is threatening the Ancient One. He said, oh, no, he's not threatening. He's like, he's like trying to repent. He's like, oh, I did wicked. Please make me your student again. Please teach me things. And while he's pleading, the Ancient One stands up, which he's never done before because he's so freaking old. And turns out it's really just Doctor Strange in an Ancient One mask. And Barrymore's like, how did you get out of my bottle? And Doctor Strange is, well, actually, it was more of a dome than a bottle. You forgot to put the bottom on the trap. <laughs> so I went out the bottom through the earth because that's, you know, shortest distance is a straight line, right? I know, I know my geometry. So through the earth to the opposite side of the world. And here we are in Asia and I've stopped you. So there you go. And they fight for a second. They throw magic at each other. Um, Dormammu this, Vashanti that. And then Baron Mordo gets like <laughs> carried off in a black cloud. Dude, and uh, that's a t-shirt right there. Dormammu <laughs> this and Vashanti that. Heck yeah. <laughs> we have to start a t-shirt shop. We're coming up with ideas now. Yeah. So um, the ancient one's like, Baron Mordo keeps getting stronger. And Doctor Strange is like, yeah, but I keep on being the hero of this book. So the end. Yeah. According to... Um, why wow, I forgot his name already, even though he uh, is the only one we ever fight. Mordo, he's the most powerful guy outside of the Ancient One. But meanwhile, he gets beat by Doctor Strange all the time. Yeah, I think he is the most powerful except for Doctor Strange, but he doesn't want to admit that Doctor Strange is more powerful. Yeah. I think he's living in denial and not just the Egyptian one. Yeah. So more of the same. Like, I don't know. You say more of the same. These stories are all very different to me. Yeah, there's not Mordo yeah. being attacked, like like being defeated by by Doctor Strange's astral projection as he tries to kill the Ancient One. That hasn't happened already. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like the boy putting on the spider stocking cap and throwing webs at people. Happens every single time. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> but not with just Doctor Octopus over and over again. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah. I don't know. I guess it's all in like the details and the mechanics of how it all happens. That's that's different well, each time. I will say that I think visually these are always very cool. Ditko really likes this whole magic 
black you know black magic thing mm-hmm. uh and this these scenarios and these settings and stuff it, it is all visually pretty neat i just kind of want like dr strange to start having some sort of life maybe with a little bit of su- okay a little bit of supporting characters and a little bit of something else besides just this all the time i De- guess dealing with a magical threat and that's it yeah 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 it's it's an eight-page story and there's they're not really right. taking any time for anything but this yeah and i guess what what are you going to do it's eight pages but we do get a first good look at his home. Yeah. And the famous neat. window. Mm-hmm. We have actually seen this window from the inside a few times, like in the background of the room that Dr. Strange is in, his window will be there. But this is our first time to see like the, the design of the house with the big old window on the top. And it's so cool to see that like on the big screen, even though I, you know, I'm not necessarily the biggest knowledgeable Dr. Strange fan, but like. You see that, and it's like, that's the, a freaking circle that Steve Ditko drew in 1963, and now it's like a prop or a you know a setting in a billion-dollar movie. Mm-hmm. That's just amazing. Page four, last panel, mm-hmm. where he says, but I shall not give up. You see that? Uh-huh. Pay no attention to this man of obviously Caucasian features. <laughs> he's, I mean... He's kind of back and forth now. Well, no, this is this is very much not a white guy. Oh, yeah. I mean... It's he was white for his origin, and, and it's it's back to back to not not Caucasian. Anymore. That's why I feel like someone probably just drew over his art for that origin story. Maybe I Could don't be. know. Like I just don't see him like caving to that demand. Honestly, I actually saw somebody online suspecting that Ditko actually drew a heck a ton of Doctor Strange stories. Uh huh. And that he actually didn't do the origin story until like all of these stories we're reading. He oh. drew the Doctor Strange origin story later. Oh, so it's just out of order. These are all just stories that he had been doing. It's like yeah. it's like where No Man had gone before. All of a sudden, they're in like old uniforms, even though the last episode they were in newer uniforms because it's out exactly. of order. Exactly, because out of order. Okay. Got to throw on that Star Trek once in a while. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And my only other thing is that you know you should always put a floor on your trap. Well, I would say I have one other thing is to say that they actually said the words good magic and bad magic, which was one thing I was talking about earlier is like they always called it they were calling it black magic which was interesting to me that that was an okay thing for dr strange to be the master of black magic Mm -hmm. because in my modern brain that that is a bad thing black magic but i guess magic is just black magic in the 60s but now they're calling it my good magic beat your bad magic which is interesting because it feels like they're learning the same skill set they're just Uh using them differently well they are calling on different people um, Doctor Strange, as of this point at least, does not call on Dormammu. Baron no. Mordo calls on Dormammu. But he Doctor has. Strange calls on the Vashanti. Yeah, but they're both taught by the Ancient One, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the Ancient One knows Mordo is evil, but like taught him anyway. And I know that Doctor Strange does start calling on Dormammu a whole lot, but he has not been doing it yet. So I feel like that's a little bit of a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they do say at the end that... Next, his next threat will not come from Baron Mordo. You know, it yeah, it kind of has that generic uh, caption that they all have been getting lately. Stay tuned for yeah. next issue where the most amazing thing will happen that we haven't made up yet. Well, uh, I will say from a from a far different, far stranger menace. Mm-hmm. Do you want to guess what that menace is? Dormammu? No, uh, it's aliens. No, <laughs> and then he's going to fight communists. <laughs> And then communist robots dressed as aliens. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? That would be interesting. He hasn't fought a non-magical thing yet. 
Yeah, that's true. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It's it, all right. Let me let me tell you this: if it's aliens sending down a representative to see if Earth is formidable, finding Doctor Strange and getting his butt kicked, and then saying, "No, let's get the heck out of here. We can't take them," I I call baloney because that story's been done. It has been done a couple of times, <laughs> even. So we'll see if I'm if I'm predicting correctly. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> all right. Um, well, I'm getting out the uh, the Twitters so I can say hello to some recent followers. Okay. And I'm trying to remember if we did this last week or if we cut quickly so we could go do Venom. I don't think we did. Okay. But so, uh, I'll tell them where to find us while you do that if you want. Yeah, yeah. So if you go to the title of our show, Make Ours Marvel, if you put them all together with no space, Make Ours Marvel and add a .com at the end, put it in a browser, you'll get to our website where you'll see – all of our episodes, you can play them like right there in the post. Um, but if you don't want to do that, you can also look to the left a little bit and you can subscribe by Apple or Android or by your email or by Google Podcasts or on Stitcher or just via 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 a standard old RSS feed. There's also links to our social media at Facebook, Google Plus, and Twitter. And most importantly, and the best reason to go to our site is so you can click the contact link and write us a letter telling us what you love, what you hate, if you have any questions or better yet, if you have any answers and every once in a while we'll read that stuff and respond. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, we actually should probably talk about doing another one of those soon because our our, uh, feedback is already stacking up. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So some people who have followed us over at uh, Twitter, um, Gosh, I don't know where I left off. So, did I mention Rad Adventures, Ruth and Darren? No. Oh, wow. I don't okay. know. Well, um, I know I mentioned War World, War, Warlord Worlds, yeah. where they're doing the Mike Grell stuff. And at Heroes Talking, which is Talking Superheroes, they, it's a Twitter feed about superheroes, and um, they're following us. Uh, Juan C. Pineda, who is currently going by Juanoween for Halloween. He's only a bit batty. We have Armand Boudreaux, who's a father, husband, English professor, and comics enthusiast. So, hello, Armand. Eric R. Wilson. He's probably my cousin. Hey, Eric. How's it going? How's the family? Uh, he's following us. A man walks into a bar. He says, ow. <laughs> um, Rob Kelly has followed us through his professional account. Wow. He's a, he is a, at Kelly Creative. Um, writer, illustrator, podcaster, co-founder of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Um, I think we should get him on the show when they make a Submariner movie. We should. Yeah. We should, because I'm sure he'll really dig the Submariner. Mm-hmm. Or the Submariner like features in some of the Fox properties that Marvel's getting, yeah. like if, they, if he oh, shows yeah. up in the Fantastic Four. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, the Prince of Evil at Plague Squid. Wow. They're following us on Twitter. Rad Adventures, Rad is R-A-D. It's a network of podcasts from Ruth and Darren focused on adventure stories, including Trekker Talk, Warlord Worlds, and Xenozoic Xenophiles. Everybody has a network. Yeah, I know, right? This is like their own network of their own stuff. Yeah. So I guess guess John Reads Comics is a network because it has two shows on it. Yeah. We should put this one on it and then I'd be part of a network. Right? Actually, it only has... Yeah, it has two shows, Image and, um, yeah. Yeah. The uh, Super super Silly Sentai. Oh. Then we have Spidey Artist, uh, who is a Hispanic follower, who's uh, amante de los comics y dibujante. He is a lover of comics and an artist who draws. Awesome. 
um, God of Dad Issues. <laughs> um, she follows us, and part of her uh, thing is that, what do you mean Loki's dead? So I think the dad issues are like Loki's and Thor's dad issues. Oh. Uh, Andrew Figueroa, who's at MoBiga71. Hey, the untold I know him. Ta- oh, you know him? That's my coworker. Oh, hey, Andrew. He's the guy who What's got up? us on Stitcher because he was complaining that he couldn't find us on Stitcher. Oh, well, now we're on Stitcher. All yeah. you Stitcher people out there, say thank you to Andrew. Yeah. Well, wait. Go to Twitter. Yeah. Go talk to him right now. Okay. So now that you're back, um, the Untold Talks of Spider-Man podcast. I need to check these guys out. Two longtime Spider-Man fans exploring the deep cuts and forgotten issues of the Spider-Man library on a hunt for what it truly means to be a Spider-Man comic. Does that mean they're covering really bad issues that nobody likes or... I think bad issues that nobody likes, but also really good issues, but also like issues that deal with like deep, deep continuity quirks and stuff. I don't know. I haven't listened to them yet, but they, they hmm. are, they're intriguing me. Yeah. And uh, this, I don't know, this, some schmo Kaiser the Great. Okay. So I was thinking today, like, man, it seems like it's been a while since I've liked and retweeted my show. And so I manually looked this up and I was not following us anymore. It's like, what the heck? I don't know how that happened, but I'm following us were, again. Were you ever? Were you ever? I was because I remember I used to retweet all the time, and then one day <laughs> it just stopped happening. So I don't know. I don't either. Good old Twitter. I must have like brushed my thumb over something, or uh, who knows. We could blame Mr. Figueroa. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Um. So over on Facebook, want to thank you for liking us over on Facebook. Um. James Enlow, Rob Kelly, who is a uh, been a good supporter of the show. Jason Parker, David Curry, Evan Galdine, and Ryan Daly. I know that guy. Do you? Ryan Daly? Ryan Daly is a podcaster. Okay. Yeah, I've been on his uh, Secret Origins podcast. I've also been on his, um, oh, something in Fishnets. What is it? Um, oh, crap. I'm blanking on the name, but he does a Black, uh, Black Canary. Canary okay. Black Canary's a Tana podcast. Um, and we did a guest spot about Gamora because it was around Avengers Infinity War and Gamora wears fishnets. So, um, sure. Little side episode about her. And yeah, he's, he's, he's good people. Cool. So, and he, uh, he retweets us and stuff. So many, many thanks for all of you supporting the show, liking the Facebook page, following us on Twitter, retweet new episodes. We always appreciate it and love you forever for it. Share our posts on Facebook. It is always, always, always appreciated. So um, be like Daniel Doherty and Keith Mason uh, are very, very regular resharers on uh, Facebook. So thank you very much for that. Yeah. I guess that's it. I guess all that money we slipped them is really paying off. Huh? Are we done for another one? Yeah. All right. Well, um, so we will be back next week for uh, finishing out November 1963. And until then... And until the Black Knight reveals his identity to the other Black Knight, just so he can spite the other Black Knight, make ours marvel.